G'day, George. G'day, mate. How oh, are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yourself? Yeah, I'm 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 well, thank you very much, and I'm ready, 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 Freddie. It's been for another. A, it's been a while, episode. hasn't it? Oh, it has. Yeah. Let's talk about what we're here for, Brett. Today, apart from, yeah. Apart from telling people to rate us, yes, rate, review, us. like, and tell your recommend friends. Recommend us. Yeah, yeah tell your friends. To, Everyone, every every listener must know someone, if not their own story, but an amazing story. At least one person, and we're 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 really um, keen on on hearing from our listeners about anyone that they could suggest. So, where would they contact us? How would they contact us, Brett? They would contact us on well, Facebook. We've got a Facebook page. We've got an Instagram page. We've mm. also got uh, you could contact us on our email address, address which is fybpodcast at gmail.com. FYI, FYB at gmail. FY, FYBpodcast oh. at gmail. Yes, and why do we have a Gmail account, Brett? Because we can't afford we can't to have afford. our own account. <laughs> Because <laughs> because podcasting is the road to road to success and and millions is that right? <laughs> you made me choke on my 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 last um you know it's like I always say we have a foot a foot long hot dog and I have an inch each day <laughs> five on Sunday. <laughs> uh, okay, so Brett, who, who do we have on today, mate? Today we have a a chap named Ivan Brewer. Ivan the Terrible? Ivan the Not-So-Terrible by the sound of his bio. Um, yeah. Ivan is, uh, is a published author and a key spokesman for the hospitality industry, which you know very well, George. So, yes. So we'll be able to swap, you know, kitchen stories or whatever what's you, he, you what's hospitality. His, what's his area of specialty in the hospitality industry? Uh, he has, he's created this um, profitability software called Peso. Peso.com.au. I'm sure he'll tell us about it. But he he um he's a spinal cord injury survivor. Which wow. I don't know what that means yet. Um, but I'm sure shortly we'll um we'll find out because guess what? He's he's uh about to come online. I think uh maybe we'll be able to just get straight into it, Georgie. Boy. I think we will. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, it's Gino from Bondi Broker. In today's changing times, the importance of health and financial security has never been more important. At Bondi Broker, we work with you to improve your financial security by offering free financial health checks, assisting in reducing your debt, and gain competitive rates to improve your cash flow. Bondi Broker gets you in the best financial health so you can focus on what matters most. Visit our website today for your free consultation at bondibroker.com.au. Out of 
Welcome to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. How are we, Jens? Very well, thank you, Ivan. I'm George. Hi, George. And that, that ugly fellow over there is Brett. That's me. <laughs> hey, buddy. I resemble that comment. You do, indeed. And your mum still loves you. Well, actually, not anymore. No, Sorry about that. Sorry about that. It's I been a bad was, year. Yeah, it's been a bad year. Poor joke. Ivan, his <laughs> mum's no longer around, mate. So, um, yeah, my mistake. You've set the tone already, George. Hey? You've set the tone already for today. Well, well the thing is, she 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 tried for, for um, you know, over 50 years to get away from him. She's finally done it. Yeah. Yeah. She has, and she would have thought that was a pretty funny joke anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> Rest in peace, mother. Yep, ditto. So, so uh, Ivan. So, Ivan, yes. Where are you, mate? Are you in Coffs Harbour or something like that? It's a very empty cafe. <laughs> yeah, it's a, the beauty of virtual backgrounds, mate. Um, I'm up in North Queensland, up in Townsville. All right, and it's, and it's called Hello Hustler? Apparently, yes. Yeah. I normally, I often put up um, the software that I'm developing, I often put that as a back screen, but it's just quite dark. So I thought so I'd make yeah. it look like I own a cafe that's empty. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So you don't, uh, in this software of yours, I mean, we're, we're jumping the gun here, but you don't actually um, have a backdoor uh, entry into the webcam of every laptop that this software goes into so you could take these sneaky shots <laughs> like the one in the back there. Uh, for, for, for our listeners who can't see what uh, what I'm talking about, Ivan's sitting in supposedly a very empty but very colourful cafe and I noticed that the shelves are empty, there's absolutely nothing there and he's drinking from a mug. So, yeah, I, so interesting. You must have been there at a quiet time. I just like to collect empty cafes, George. It's just, um, just something I find interesting, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty common too, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> at the moment. They're all yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so let's get started. Um, Ivan, tell us um, the Ivan story. Let's, let's go back to your childhood. Where were you born? Um, your parents, what they <laughs> did, yada, yada. Let's, let's uh, roll straight into it. Sure. Um, yeah, North Queensland originally. Um, just Sorry been about that. Yeah, it's been itinerant really, so travelled a great deal. So my mother was Scottish and my, my dad was a Kiwi. Um, so really sort of moved around all over the country and around New Zealand as well. Um, but like, yeah, love the heat, love the love the lifestyle of North Queensland. Um, and from there, I sort of actually, I was very into sport. So um, that sort of dominated my earlier years and, and fell into hospitality um, after I'd moved to New Zealand, I'd wanted to go and sort of investigate NZ and just understand where my dad had come from. Yep. Um, and worked in personal, I was a personal trainer and worked a lot in gyms. Um, and to see I sort of fell into a, working as a barista. Um, and just luckily, it's, and it's been a feature of my career really, just um, lucky to work in somewhere that was just incredibly good. You know, so one of the, one of the industry leaders um, was actually originally owned by a guy named um, Miller. Um, he set up he basically created the coffee industry in new zealand um so he was the incredible so it was just very high functioning very very good quality um coffee shop and he sort of got poached from there to work in the regions i started off working in high high-end hotels um and that just uh, developed just an appetite for 
hospitality. I just really enjoyed the the chaos and sort of trying to bring bring sense to it. I think so. Um, that's where the addiction began. There he is. You're back, George. You 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 completely oh, froze up then. Did I freeze or did he freeze? No, you did. Because my internet connection is unstable, and that's a metaphor. Um, it's a metaphor for how I am at the moment. Anyway, you continue, Brett, because I'm unstable. <laughs> so, so Ivan, um, tell us about. So, I assume that you had an accident somewhere along the line uh, in this story. Yeah. So, just as I mentioned, I've always been very active. Like sports, just been um, just been a place that I've really enjoyed. I've just largely been good at sport. Um, mm. You know, growing up, I've just I mean, kicking a football to each other, kicking a soccer ball, playing cricket. Yes, it's been my happy place. I've just, I've just loved it, um, and yeah. So, I mean, hospitality is, you know, a very physical um, game. Um, I've, I've worked in the kitchen and out, but you tend to run the run the show from out front and do yeah. on your feet, as you know, as you know. Um, so, well, yeah, it was always active, and it was actually as I was looking to, I had this idea around Peso, so this this sort of software product. Um, for quite a while and it's something I've developed in my own businesses and um, at, towards the end of hospitality I had very young children I was running a pub down on the Sunshine Coast and finishing at three in the morning on a Saturday so it was just starting not to work within um, what I needed as a, as a young family um, and I looked to because I knew I was well, I had my passion about a software industry so the, launching a software product so I actually spent some time in a, in a call center um, selling insurance. Um, oh, yeah. I'd wanted to be in the most difficult sort of sales environment possible, basically, yep. to, to learn yep. to learn them. And that's sort of something I've tended to do, you know, um, even within running hotel, you know, restaurants, et cetera. I mean, I went and spent six months as a bond cleaner because um, I wanted to under, understand how to clean properly. That's not a bong cleaner, that's a bond cleaner. A bond cleaner, that's right. <laughs> well, that's uh, right. I, I wouldn't have needed to go out of hospitality to understand the former. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a feature of the industry, yeah. I, I think it's probably ice pipes now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, and I've just liked that sort of thorough level of, um, of knowledge and what we sort of uncovered that I had a, um, a progressive disease in my neck. So had a um, the bone in my the ligaments in my neck had been turning to bone um, without me knowing. Um, so I had less than a millimeter's worth of spinal cord um, that wasn't compressed over well, a sort of three centimeter span. What 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 is that called? Um, what, is called, that a, it's genetic called condition? It's um it's genetic but not hereditary. So it's more pronounced in the Japanese parts of the world in Asia culture very rare um, in Caucasians and typically in a lower back. So it's something that I didn't know about. Um, had been, you know, fit active, throwing kegs around and such, but um, once I stopped being so active, it just progressed. I was getting, you know, tingling my fingers and numbness and I got to a point where I was rushed into emergency surgery and, and literally the surgery saved my life. You know, I mean, I could have tripped and fallen over and I would have killed myself. I would have severed my spine. Sorry, wow. what what um what actually uh, is the condi- condition again? What's it's it called? called? OPLL, and it makes your neck or your spinal cord brittle, does it? No, so the the ligaments that are inside my spine. So with you got the bone in your spine, the ligaments that go inside of that, yes, um, had turned to bone, so they'd ossified um, wow. over time. 
And by doing so, they were just squeezing my spinal cord between the bone of my spine and those ossified ligaments. So, you, wow. so you had no awareness of it. It was just one day you suddenly, you suddenly went, oh, "Holy shit, there's something going on here." Or did that, that's it- right? Basically, yeah. I started having a stiff neck and a sore neck, and it, it was actually um, a, a, a very ordinary physiotherapist experience where I was put in traction with my neck. And if you can imagine being put into traction when the ligaments in your neck had turned to bone, it wasn't a, a good match. Um, yeah. What that did was, you know, numbness in my hands and a great deal of pain, and that then sort of created the domino effect of, of diagnosis. Within a month, I'd had all of the, they can't, can't do anything about that ligament turning to bone, so I've had the bone at the back of my neck removed. So there's no bone at the back of my neck. Really? What have they, what have they replaced it with? Uh, discs, plastic discs or something Nothing. like that? No, nothing. nothing. I literally, yeah, touched my spinal cord in the back of my neck. But, but how did you? I mean, I, I, I mean, you, you look absolutely normal to me from the from the chest up. You, you're moving your head. You're, um, you know, you can turn your head left and right. Um, how does it? How does it work for you? Yeah, so to just been a, an ongoing battle since a permanent spinal cord in, injury as a result because of the the compression, um, which is just re- translated into permanent pain. So it means that I'm in a Sort of migraines level of pain uh, for the for the rest of my life, um, and six pins and a couple of you know, six screws and two pins that hold my neck together. So very limited sort of movement side to side, um, and to, there's nowhere for the muscles in my upper back to reattach to my neck. So Jesus. I lost all of that. So I had to completely rebuild my upper back, um, and it's just an ongoing battle now to try to keep moving. So do you, do you have to be really careful these days? Uh, there's probably not much damage that we could do. The bone has now grown over. The, the metals effectively was a scaffolding, so it's all um, I've healed quite well. But the the pain and limitations will just never never resolve. That's just a, a permanent impact. So and 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 how do you how do you manage the pain, Ivan? Because I can't imagine my mother and my sister had migraine migraines, right? And I saw how debilitating they were. Are you just pushing through? Pretty much, yeah. So um, I'm on medication, but I have a very high sensitivity to it, so I don't like taking medication. Right. Uh, so really I take enough just to take the pointy edges off of the pain and the rest is, um, I mean, I went through, you know, I went through a very dark time. You know, the first sort of six months, um, I would literally go to bed each night wanting to pray not to wake up the next day. It was just the the most horrendous level of pain and um, I actually managed to yeah, bring myself out of that. Really, it was just for my family. Just started to focus on what I got to do and just how important that was to me. And and really, in a, in a way, peso as well. So it was how I could live my life and and really wanted to turn this into into a positive. Make this the best thing that's ever happened to me, as opposed to the worst. So it's, um, at, at which point? At which point did you, I mean? You must have reached a very very low point for you to just um, latch on to that. Can you vividly remember where you were and what what you were what you were doing when you just decided? No, I've had enough of this. I'll just you know I'll focus on what I can do. Yeah, I had um had a moment. I think music started to become a um, a solace for me. So there was a, a song that I'd heard. Um, my my father passed away a year before I had my neck injury. Um, and hospitality being hospitality, I was driving to work three hours later. Um, after my dad had, had died and the song that came onto the radio that day was Sound of Silence by um, Disturbed. Yep. That, that was a song I just started to return to and listen to and 
um, the music just changed my state. It just is something that I've, I've sort of begun a bit of a passion in a, for singing myself and for music. And that was really a moment where I just sort of started to ignore what everyone else was telling me around all the medical professionals and just um, find my own way, just find what was going to be meaningful to me to survive. And how long ago was uh, was this? Like when did three, it start? Three and a half years. Right. So you're three and a half years into what is a life-changing experience, et cetera. So what's, a, what's a, an everyday, you know, what's everyday like these days for you? So we, we were on the Sunshine Coast, so we moved back to North Queensland for the heat because the cold just creates more pain for me. Um, so for me now, yeah, it's, um, I don't sleep well naturally being in pain, so I'm up early in the morning um, and really it's just orientated towards my family and to, and to trying to help people in hospitality. So I just try to keep my life very, very simple, um, focus on the, the short, to short term and the immediate and don't sort of focus too much on the future. Um, I do way too much. I don't find, I don't believe that there is such a thing as a balance. I'm either not doing as much as I can or I'm doing way too much. There's, there's no sort of gray area in between. So most days I do too much and forced to lie down and, and rest for the majority of the day. But I just find more and more things, just trying to find little life hacks to help my neck wherever I can. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I enjoy things like baking bread was a massive feature for me that, that became a good experience, something that my family enjoys and actually helped me rebuild my uh, my upper back um, through the kneading process. So, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, making food from scratch for the family and it just makes you move. It's better than, um, more efficient than trying to do rehab exercises, you know, because food is insistent every time you have to, you have to yeah. do what you have to do. So I try to do everything I can to help my wife who's the burden of so much of what, the tasks around the family have fallen onto her, so I try to do as much as I can and just um, make my kids laugh and try to smile every day. I think just be just be thankful for what I have. You know, I have to say, I have to say, Ivan, if if people can uh, tell a story by looking at pe- uh, other people's faces, yours is one where you look like you're um, you're in a place of uh, you, that you're grateful, but you're also, if I could say this whilst your eyes look a little bit tired, you look like you're happy. And it's, and, uh, and you know, I'm just observing you and I'm thinking, wow, like, you know, to, to overcome that, which most people would be, you know, they'd be curled up in a fetal position, crying out for their mother in the corner of the room, uh, to be able to go from that and want to help people as well uh, with what you did with Peso, um, that's incredible but what's driving that what's driving that part of you i think a big part um for me has been to just keep my brain active you know so so much of my life has been around being physically active and i've just now needed to move that focus which has been a a bit of a challenge so i hate lying down but it's some something i do for more for the majority of the day so um I guess a, a, a second major turning point was this time last year, I started writing uh, my story. There was a short story as part of an anthology um, called I Fly. And that was a really powerful process for me to be to understand more about my own story and sort of come to terms with it a bit more, I guess. So that was that was really powerful experience. And I love writing. So the, the fact that that book was published and it's... Um, picked up by global distributors. It's actually something that is in the gift bags at the Oscars. Um, wow. Kind of cool. So 
um, that that was a really lovely experience to and to have people um, to have have a positive experience on my writing. So you know, I've worked a lot. A lot of the last three years has been about um, just putting my name out there in hospitality and sort of trying to contribute to the conversation, mainly mainly via LinkedIn as much as I can. So I've built a, you know, fantastic network on LinkedIn um, and talked to a lot of people and pretty much anyone I'd just talk to and try to help. Um, and that's been uh, then allowed me to, you know, I've, I've written professionally for food tech companies. Um, I've consulted to the tech companies directly. And that's sort of more of the focus for me that I can't really do one to one. That's not really efficient for me on yeah. impact. My goal is to improve the profitability of the hospitality industry. I just think that doing so means that there's, there's a better world. We impact an, an awful lot of people. So that's been my very think that are driving force. Wow. Well, I was just I was just thinking, Ivan. Um, I mean, you, yes, obviously, you you. Um, I mean, you can stand, you can move. Is that correct? Or I can, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, but just, you can't just can't do pain. that for long. That's right. That's right. It just means pain. So. A lot of things I can do, most things I can do, it just means there are some things that put me in a very high level of pain very quickly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I try to move. That's the, the, the problem always is it, it, it's unhealthy to not move. So I'm in that sort of funny place where to lie down means pain from not moving but less pain from moving. So I just wow. try to do as much as I can around the house and just keep on trying to keep moving. So it's, right. a, it's, a, it's very much a balancing act each day which, which i've found impossible to do brett so right <laughs> they've often talked in pain management about pacing and balance and i've just like oh i'm terrible at pacing and balance so i just um i get very uh, annoyed with myself and frustrated for not being able to do things so um i don't i don't rest well uh but i you know during the day when kids are at school my wife is at work i sort of have time to myself and i can sort of lie down when i need to and it does become a bit of a routine and the dog follows me around, you know, and lies in the bed with me and um, just is a, is a constant companion. And, and then, you know, now that my wife's working full time, seeing the kids sports of an afternoon, all of that's really quite painful. Driving's painful, but I'm, I've focused on I get to do it, right? Because mm. um, I, I shouldn't be. I should be in a wheelchair. Um, it, I was more likely to die than not. So these are, these are all things I get to do. So I take it the doctors weren't too, their prognosis wasn't very promising. It took quite a while to sort of get to the bottom of it. So, and that was a very difficult position. And I think a lot of people that suffer from chronic pain go through that where no one really believes you, you know, there's this constant fight. Um, mm. But yeah, we, we got to a point where it's just permanent. Um, there's nothing we can do. It's really just uh, it's a mental battle now. It's it, pain is just a constant mental battle um, and trying to look after my, you know, I was 18 months flat on my back in bed. In, in effect, you know, after, wow. after so it was so the natural deterioration that you have in, in your strength as well. So um, had to rebuild all of all of that, and and it's just been a long, slow process. So become a bit more um, patient, I think, in life. So long, <laughs> so, so long term, is it is it likely that because you're so back. are you back? If, is it likely that because you're so so determined that you will be able to improve and improve and improve, or is it is it more degenerative where it'll keep degenerating? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. It, it's really just literally just my mental. I mean, I'm I'm so far beyond where they thought I was going to get to already. Um, I wasn't expected to sort of be where I'm at now. So 
I'm in, in a little bit of uncharted territory. So it's um, mm. me, it's just yeah, trying to maximize my life and the, the natural other sort of um, health impacts that come from being largely immobile due, due to chronic pain. Um, so yes, it's, it'll never get better. The, the pain will always be there. And it's just really me um, finding different strategies. And, and, you know, I mean, I've got a very high tolerance for pain, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but I'm permanently seven out of ten. Like that's my good day, right? That's what I get up right. to every day. That's what I live in all, all day, every day. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so you've had to you've had to adjust to a new normal, um, and you've done that. Yeah. You've done that well. I guess you've probably changed the rating system, right? So seven is now your two and three out of ten. Uh, <laughs> for other people, it would be seven and eight. Uh, I, I have a question for you with respect to. I mean, obviously. One of the things, one of the things that I've noticed um, with people who've gone through, you know, like, you know, traumatic or serious um, moments in their lives, they they come to. Um, I've I noticed that coming to a conclusion that that you're out there to serve um, a community or go after something bigger than yourself usually makes the difference between you know your you know giving up and you know, not giving up. What have you found? I'd say that's a perfect representation. You know, I think that, I mean, part of it, I think, and it's something that I I learned through the writing process was that um, that previous version of me died, like that person doesn't exist anymore. And there's this natural, because it's so abrupt, right? You go from what you could do, and then all of a sudden, you in effect wake up in this new physiology, and it's just, you don't know what, it's so disorientating. So that that old person died, um, and it's very much that fact, literally, of saying, "Well, it's not about me now; it's about um, what I can do." I mean, hearing my, you know, my son is it he giggles all the time, and trying. To, I'm, I'd, I'd go out of my way to try to make my kids laugh absolutely every day. Just the, the most incredible sound, and literally, like you said, you just give up. What it's not about me; it's about what I can contribute and what I can do for other people. Which is why I advocate for you know so many different sort of charities and businesses and, and just want to help as many people as I can. Tell me, Ivan, about um, the software. I, I mean, how did you – obviously you've been in, in hospitality and you must have come to a conclusion at some point, I think I can solve some of the, you know, some of these small businesses' problems. Tell us all about that part of the journey. But I think it, it began um, – by facing the problems myself as an operator, you know, mm. so I can remember standing in a very busy restaurant. Um, I'll backtrack slightly, actually. The, my first experience was running a major catering company um, at 30, you know, multi-million dollar operation with um, many different revenue streams. And um, I remember the, the director sort of ringing me up and having a go at me after my first week saying, oh, gee, your P&Ls went great last week. And I was like... I've been here for a week. <laughs> this is um, mm. this is pretty hard to to cop that. But to think, well, like, how do I make sense of this, right? So if I've got to make decisions, how do I make sense of enough of what's going on within the business to make the right decisions? I think that was the sort of the my real adventure into understanding data and, and really looking and taking the, the finances apart. And that really started my journey to to want to understand. More than because we're very um, we're very tactile and very kinetic in hospitality, but not not very good at sort of understanding the the mechanism behind it. So 
um, yeah, distinctly remember standing in a restaurant thinking, okay, so if I'm to make the best decision I can right now, what would that decision be? And there's just not enough information within the current forum and ecosystem to be able to do that. We, I was working within a global business at the time that provided PL six weeks after the fact. You know, right. how, how are you supposed to have that information inform your decisions when it's so distant from real time? So that, that began my adventure to go, right, how do I better understand what's happening? Um, at the same time, I started an MBA and um, I, I absolutely loved it. A lot of people deride um, MBAs as the generalist degrees, but I was able to shape every aspect of that degree to relate to hospitality. Um, and it really just opened up this source of information. You know, I'd, I'd sort of start delving into the academic realm and and start asking questions and finding there was so much information there that we just weren't using. And an example would be um, something that's very popular around our menu analysis techniques that we use, you know, with our dogs and stars and plow horses, for example. I mean, that's been around since 1983 and well and truly debunked by the mid-90s. But every single place you go, every consultant still uses that. And that just, I found that quite disorientating. Just think, well, why, why do we have information over one place, but we're not using it operationally in the other? So I started sort of bridging that gap as someone who's worked in every aspect of hospitality and go, well, there's so much information out there. Um, let's start making sense and, and really investigating where we get all of these key operational the things like the 30-30 rule for labour and cost of goods. Where does that come from? Why is that something that we, uh, an average that we try to apply to um, idiosyncratic and, and unique businesses? All these things that we do that just don't make sense. So that sort of started make, asking questions and think, well, how can we make sense of this? What do we need to do to be able to give us the information we need? I think something very early on in my career was an example of that where um, working within a hotel, um, I was running a, the restaurant at 24 within a five-star brand. So I was the youngest person within that brand to, to run a, a, a hotel restaurant. And we worked our butts off, right? So we absolutely smashed it. The, the target for our labour was 21%. We came in at 18% over the year. Um, so accounting just naturally came back and said, okay, well, the next year's target 17% then. It just made no sense, you know. So I think that's a real example and a really good indication, exactly as you say, that numbers can inform us, but they can't, they can't provide all the detail. They're, they're not the whole story by any stretch. And even an example I use where there's a real tendency now within, um, within point-of-sale systems trying to match up with rostering software to what they call the real-time um, labour labor costs. And my con I constantly talk about this is that, well, that depends. You can't, you can't do that, right? Because when do we recognise the revenue um, from the transaction? So typically it's the end of the sale when people are paying. So at that point in time, that doesn't match up to when the labour's been consumed. Because the labour's been consumed for the hour and a half before that, the people have been sitting at the table. But that's an example of, but according to the numbers, 3.30, that's when it is that we need to roster everybody on at 3.30. So yeah, but if they're not on at 1.30, <laughs> you're not going to have anyone there to work. So it's just as an example of numbers simply just don't tell the whole story. If we viewed hospitality through that narrow prism, no one would open a hospitality business. <laughs> you know, you'd simply go and put your money in the bank. <laughs> you know, you'd get, there's much better ways from their mechanisms and measures to be able to make money. And yes. I think on the flip side of that, George, something I've seen over the last few years, which has been... Um, really quite alarming to me is is two aspects. One, I've seen a lot of very experienced operators um, struggle. 
Yes. So we're all of a sudden the last five years, what has, you know, we're talking people that have been in the industry 15 and 20 years. Yeah. And I've seen more and more businesses that are busy, that have got fantastic, you know, customer service, fantastic food, but they're not being profitable. So I think that the the mechanism by which we we run businesses no longer works. I think that in a lot of cases, the complexity of running a hospitality business, and we need to acknowledge that it is the most complex industry there is to run a business. It's incredibly difficult business to to operate in. Um, that we, we we no longer make sense. I think the the complexity now exceeds the general person's ability to run the business. What what kind of answers have you come up with? Have you come up with anything? I was going to say, what's changed? Yeah, well, what, what's changed most in the hospitality industry? Is it labour cost? Is it what is it? Competition in a big way. So we've had um, we've gone from fourteen to forty two thousand cafes and restaurants in the last decade. Yeah, we've in, we've in, we've grown the total pie by five percent. You know, so but the population hasn't grown that much. No, so no. you know, regardless of what you know, the IBIS reports and all of the everyone out there saying that there were halcyon days ahead for cafes, for example, yeah, yeah. The, the market just hasn't grown. So yeah. the size of the pie that each business is having. Which are largely just cut and paste commodities, right? You know, just a what what's so differentiating about the majority of cafes? You're just Nothing. gonna walk past four that do exactly the same thing to get to another one. So that that commoditization of the business, the the growth in franchises, which we're still small by comparison. America has twenty percent franchises to independents, and we're around five percent. We don't have a big dominator outside of fast food. But yeah, and then the input costs have increased. So the the variability around things like our and the labour and our cost of goods, um, power, utilities going up, and then just the the unpredictability now. So hospitality has an intra-week seasonality. So we tend to have two days a week outside of Melbourne, you know, two days of trade a week that pay for seven, and then we have a seasonality on top of that across a whole year. So it's um it's just so unpredictable, and we can't we can't wait to the end of the month to make sense of that. We can hardly wait to the end of the week. We need to be able to react on a day-by-day basis. Mm, mm, so mm. tell us um, how Peso works. So what Peso is what, so it is the, what I'd call the world's first profit software for hospitality, um, profitability software, so that's trademarked. Um, it's a profit-first software. So we actually start off by asking an operator the profitability that they'd like to achieve, and then we work backwards. So we, we actually integrate with their accounting package and with their rostering platform and their point of sale. And Peso at the beginning of each period, so in the first version should be coming out in the next week or so um, for our beta testing, will come out just with a labour module. So we literally tell a business how many hours they have to spend each week to be profitable in their labour. So Peso does something that no rostering platform in the world can do, and that is tell them what is the ideal labour percentage to be profitable. And I know George would agree that most people just make up rosters, right? Like they're yeah, not. They do. They're arbitrary budgets or based on the number of bodies you need on the, on the floor. They're not actually telling people what a, the, the ideal budget should be. And, and to even how we measure the, the, um, the productivity around a, a site as well. So on, a, on a, an individual shift, I know for me running a restaurant, I, I liked my managers to target 19 to 20% on a Friday and Saturday night for labour costs um, because we know we're going to blow out on other days. So um, we often find that if we look at revenue per labour hour as a productivity measure, that the quiet shifts on a Tuesday and Wednesday are actually more productive than our peak shifts on a Friday and Saturday. 
<laughs> so it's often, you know, taking labour from one place and putting it to another, measuring that big, a big symptom of and problem in hospitality is where when we get busy, we, we have waste. We have product waste and we have wage waste, you know, so we really need to be pushing for those margins the, the whole time. And, and we are an industry that exists on assumptions. So, you know, the large, the rule of thumb in hospitality is that next week's revenue will figure out what we did 52 weeks ago and match that. And that, that's been proven academically to be completely ridiculous. And the time that we've had around COVID just highlights that, you know, there's no way we can compare next week's revenue to what we did 12 months ago. So better forecasting methodologies. So, um, as part of my MBA, I studied statistics, so just which I enjoyed greatly. So we have um, some very we have advanced statistical modeling modeling to actually help us forecast revenue. That allows us then to forecast a revenue a labor expense. But importantly, then on a day by day basis, we iterate. So if the if the venue spends more labor on a Monday than was forecast or takes less money. I like the peso goes back to them and actually tells them to revise that roster. So our first stage is, I mean, this is something that's been 10 years in development, really. It's been something I've trialed through every venue that I've ever worked in. And I've, I've gone, I would always go into somewhere and I've run pub groups and restaurant chains. I'd go somewhere, learn as much as I could and then move on. I just, and then go somewhere else to learn again. So it's been a methodology that's been applied through um, every different segment. I then, ask other people to use it. So I basically de-evolved it and then rebuild it based. So I took myself out of the system. Yep. Um had you know I had one restaurant increase its profitability by a quarter of a million dollars a year. You know, a 14 year old business that just had such a profound improvement in, in profit. So where we're at now is that in the next week or two we'll be launching our beta test. Um, we have an invitation for people to apply. The first version is just for limited integrations, it is for deputy with rostering, zero with accounting and counter for point of sale. Just be, I mean, there's 83 point of sale systems in Australia, so we just had to start somewhere. Um, we're looking for beta testers for 20 testers just to come on board, have the product for free for three uh, for six months and just allow us to check it all, make sure it's all robust and working with view to a market launch in the um, early February. And then largely it's going to be through um, industry partners uh, and, and channel partners and referral partnerships, as well as just um, some, hopefully we're, we're a finalist in an in a ideas competition for Bean Centauri, so which should be announced in two weeks. So hopefully that, that small um, prize money can fuel um, a bit of a market launch as well. Well, it's, there's no doubt that you've got the will and the adversity you have been through makes me think that this uh, new platform is going to work 100% and you're, you're going to be run off your feet, <laughs> so to speak. Tell uh, tell all the listeners uh, how can they get in touch with you? How can they get on board with this? Um, because I, you know, I personally think it's a very important uh, thing that you're doing for hospitality. Thank you. And, and something that's important to note is it is orientated to the SME. I think, like George would know, typically bigger businesses franchises have so many resources, but the that the SME is everything. They're the CFO, they're the marketing manager, they're the ops manager all in one. So um, pricing will be $150 a month and orientated towards those smaller businesses to be able to help. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So just Ivan Brewer on LinkedIn, um, or please go to the website, which is www.peso, which is spelled P-E-I-S-O.com.au. 
um, you'll see a, a means of either contacting me directly or we'll have a um, so data, there's some information collection there to be able to apply for the beta test. Awesome. Awesome, Ivan. Um, now we usually finish off the interview with a with a with a tune, and um, as you said earlier, uh, music is one of your saviors. So, what track did you choose, and why? I chose yesterday. <laughs> what a great uh, song, Paul McCartney, which I thought was just a see a song that um, that I quite enjoy myself. When you sort of delve back into that era, the music was just phenomenal and incredible, and I think just the the song in itself is um yeah very pertinent to today fantastic george ivan it's been absolutely amazing uh seriously um uh i don't know anyone that's given well firstly managed to use uh an mba and and, and statistics and applied it to small business so it's really really uh, fantastic and you've also you've also incredibly given um, you know, the small business owner who has to wear many, many, many different hats and they're usually not good at any of them. Um, you're giving them a serious leg up in the area of managing and understanding the numbers. It's, um, it's, it's fantastic, mate. Great, great work. I love it. Thank you. Appreciate that. Ivan, thanks a lot for being on today and, um, and good luck with, uh, with your endeavour. I'm, I'm sure it's going to work and, um, and let's uh, let's let's touch base soon and see how you're going. Maybe yeah. you know, maybe mid next year we'll get you back on and see how the beta testing's going. That would be fantastic, Brett. Thank you Thanks, very Ivan. much. Thanks, Ivan. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Ivan. It's you're an inspira- you're an inspiration to people, right. mate. Thank you. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call you Ivan the terrible anymore. You're Ivan the terrific. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ivan. Bye bye. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Yesterday came suddenly Why she had to go I don't know she wouldn't say I said something wrong Now I long for yesterday Yesterday Love was such an easy game to play I need a place to hide away Oh, I believe in yesterday Why she had to go I don't know, she wouldn't say I said some. Love was such an easy game to play I need a place to hide away Oh, I believe in yesterday Mm -hmm. 
Let's go.